Say Something's Girl Talk, a place for women to hear and share an encouraging word. First up, Sandra Stanley, author, blogger, and wife to Andy Stanley, founders of North Point Ministries, from her latest project, Breathing Room, encouraging us to exhale all of life's stress and pressure and breathe in some serious encouragement. Thanks for joining the conversation. Here we go. Um, but yeah, so it's so fun to be here. So fun to be with y'all and have a special place. Andy actually lived in Dallas for four years while he was in seminary here. And um, so we, we drove by the, years ago, we were in Dallas and we drove by um, the seminary and he said, these are my people. This is where, I, this, these were my people. So, and I'm actually in the middle of doing DTS now, about halfway through my master's um, at DTS and that's been fun and um, quite the learning curve as you can imagine. So um, anyway, that's been awesome. Um, but I'm so glad to be here. And Kay asked me to talk a little bit about Breathing Room. And um, so I'm thrilled to do that. Breathing Room is a heartbeat message for me because I have a little bit of life now in the rearview mirror, and I can look back to certain seasons of my life, chapters of my life, where I had created and maintained Breathing Room, and those are the seasons where I have the fewest regrets. And I can also look back in the rearview mirror at 51 years of age and see some some seasons and some times of my life where I didn't do that. And that is where most of my regrets lie. And what I have learned is I'm a better wife, I'm a better mom, I'm a better daughter, I'm a better sister, I'm a better just kind of human when I have created and maintained some breathing room in my life. And so for the sake of definition, breathing room is that space between our current pace and our limit. So if our limit is here and our breathing room is here, I mean, if our limit is here and our pace is here, then the space in between is our margin, it's our breathing room, it's that place where we have a little bit of room to take a deep breath. If my limit is here and my pace is neck and neck with my limit, I am one bad decision away from being in the danger zone, whether it's relationally, whether it's financially, whether it's using my time on my calendar, whatever, I'm really, really close to being in the danger zone. If my pace, if my, if my limit is here and my pace is beyond it, I'm suffering. I'm probably very frustrated. I'm probably not being nice to the people around me. I mean, we've all been there. We know quick to snap, all those things. So, so for the sake of, um, of, of definition, that's what I'm talking about when I talk about breathing room. And I'm not so naive as to believe that creating and maintaining breathing room in our lives is a you know, magic bullet to solve everything and to make our marriages great and make our kids great and you know, all that kind of stuff. But what I have learned is there are some practices, some principles, some processes, some boundaries that we can put in our lives, some things that we can apply that just make life go a little more smoothly. And so that's why breathing room is such a big deal. Um, such a big deal to me. But um, what I want to talk about, though, briefly tonight has to do with breathing room, but it's really sort of a side message um, that kind of sort of an offshoot of breathing room, and it is our tendency to drift. So any kind of thing that we decide is important and we set some boundaries and we turn over a new leaf or whatever, we always have a tendency to drift away from it. Um, even when we develop that space between our pace and our limits, even when we, you know, decide we're going on a new diet, you know, whatever it is, we, we decide on certain things and it is just so, so easy, um, so easy to drift. I mean, think about New Year's resolutions for one thing. We're always so great at having these amazing, you know, in, intentions and we're good for four weeks or five weeks or six weeks, but eventually it just dissipates and goes away and, and we're kind of back where we started. So it's just, I think it's just a life principle. It's um, just the principle of drifting. Um, 
And busyness can be a culprit and all of that kind of stuff. There are just so many different reasons for breathing room. But I want to share a quick story um, with you, kind of a family story. Every year, my parents rent a house on Hilton Head Island, kind of that last week of May, first week of June, house on Hilton Head. My mom and dad rent this big house that's big enough for my mom and dad, my sister and her two kids, my brother and his four, Andy and me and our three, or, or sometimes more. We are foster parents, so we have kids kind of in and out sometimes. But um, So we all go to Hilton Head, and it really is my very favorite week of the year. It's kind of that week where we, um, we reconnect and we have coffee time on the porch, so the adults are all, you know, it's the one time that if I can sleep late, I don't want to sleep late because I don't want to miss anything. And I don't want my sisters and my mom and dad and all of them to be in there talking and laughing and I'm not in there because I just don't want to miss anything. So we're all out there, you know, every morning having coffee, kids are still asleep, just laughing, you know, all of our weird family stuff and, you know, weird family and inside jokes and just all that, just reconnecting, being together. My parents live about two hours away. My brother and his family live there too in middle Georgia, right in Dublin, Georgia. And um, Allison, my sister and I both live in Atlanta. So it's just our connection week. And um, so that's always fun. The other thing about it that's fun, and y'all can steal this, it's a really great idea. A couple of years ago, my sister had this great idea that all of us, and the year that she decided it was eight years old to 80, she decided that all of us were going to take five minutes and do a little TED talk, like, you know, in the evenings. And, and you can choose whatever you want to talk about, whether it's just something you're interested in or something you're learning or, or a passion of yours. And so we all, from 8 to 80, had a five-minute talk, and it was the greatest thing. It was the greatest thing. So even my little nephew got up and talked about hoverboarding. He had just gotten a hoverboard. <laughs> So he got up and talked about hoverboarding. My dad, who was Marine Corps, you know, um, Lieutenant Colonel, talked about patriotism and the importance of the country. And we all just took five minutes. And it laid the groundwork for our whole week to be able to just connect with my nieces and nephews and know something that interests them. It was just, just it's a great idea. Such a great idea. So we do that on family vacation. We just laugh, talk, all that. Um, but the, the thing about Hilton Head in May, I don't know if you have ever been to an East Coast beach, but Hilton Head in May is still cold. The water is still cold. Usually there's a wind. And typically, once coffee time is over, you know, everything is about the meals. So in between lunch and dinner, we find ourselves out on the beach. I am typically in a chair with about four beach towels, you know, wrapped around like blankets, along with everybody else, you know, all the adults. But the kids are in the water. They don't even feel it. And my dad rents surfboards, although there is no surf at Hilton Head Island. But we have the surfboards anyway. So there are surfboards. There are every inflatable thing. And dad's got four pumps, you know, because he's the Marine. He's got backups for everything, Mr. Eagle Scout and all that. So he's got backups for everything. And um, But the kids don't feel the water. They're out there on the surfboards, on the floats, doing all kinds of fun things, um, and don't even feel the water. But the interesting thing is, here we are. And we're on the beach, and we're looking at the kids, and then we get engrossed in whatever conversation we're having. And in about, you know, just a minute or two, we look, and the kids are gone, and they're like 50 yards down the beach. And what happens, as you know, on, you know, on the coast of, you know, any beach, there's an undertow. There's this, there's this invisible, can't see it, can't feel it kind of thing, phenomenon that's happening. And in just a few minutes, everybody is way, way down the beach. And so what'll happen typically is one of us will get up and go running down the beach. Now my kids are in their 20s, so they're under the blankets on the beach with us now, but all the nieces and nephews are still out there. So we go running down the beach, you know, kind of waving our arms like maniacs, trying to get somebody's attention and, you know, one person will see us and get everybody else. And we pull them out and say, okay, we got to go back down, get back in the water in front of us. And so this is cyclical. It happens kind of for the whole day. And finally, we're brilliant people. We say, okay, we're going to set a marker. So see the 
big group of people under the blue tent. When you get to the blue tent, you're going to get out of the water, march back down with all your stuff, and get back in the water in front of us. So we set this marker for them down the beach, and they get up, and they and they come running back um, back up the beach. So, so finally, we've kind of got this thing under control, but it still happens. It's invisible. They can't see it. They can't feel it. And all of a sudden, they look up, and they can see no family, but they see the blue tent. So it's their marker. And interestingly, as we said, this drift happens in life, too. It's not just the ocean. It happens in life. It happens to all of us. We just kind of wake up and realize we're somewhere we never thought we would be. Um, and almost anything that has any real value in our lives, this principle applies. Anything that we're committed to that we want to try to do better, that we want to try to do differently, this principle of drifting applies regardless of our great intentions. Um, so I want you to think about it for just a second as it relates to three particular um, three particular topics. And in the breathing room study, we talk about these three things as it relates to breathing room, our time, our finances, and our relationships. So I want you to think for just a second about breathing room as it relates to your time. An incredible opportunity comes along that is right in line with your passion and your calling, and you look at your calendar and your heart sinks because you know that you've already said yes to too many lesser things, and you're forced to say no that is some, that, to something that is right in your wheelhouse. You drifted as it relates to your time and your commitments. The second thing is your money, and I'm sure nobody can relate to this, but... It's just kind of my own thing. You get that Amex bill in the mail, and you look at the balance, and a sense of panic overwhelms you because in the heat of some moments, you made some purchasing decisions you had previously decided you wouldn't. You had drifted in your finances. The third thing is in relationships. And, um, yeah, maybe, maybe meddling now. Your daughter runs in the house after school needing your comfort because she has just experienced her first breakup. But you weren't home because even though you had committed to being at home when she got home from school each day, you just stopped being intentional about it. And so she went to a friend's house instead for comfort. You drifted from that commitment to make a most important relationship a priority. And, you know, those, those are all three very real things for me. Clearly, it was real easy for me to come up with some, some real-life um, examples of those things. But drifting can be, and that, that doesn't seem so, so much of a big deal right on the surface, but drifting really can go to darker, deeper places really quickly. We've all been in situations, either ourselves or with somebody that we know, where you wake up and you get way down the beach and you go, oh, my goodness, how did I get here? I never thought I would land here. And that is the power of the drift. That is the power of the drift. And it started, when you ask the question, it started with one simple decision that didn't seem like that big of a deal, followed by another simple decision that didn't seem like that big of a deal, followed by another one where there's a little something on the inside going, mm -hmm, probably shouldn't do that, but you can rationalize it away pretty easily. And that's how we end up, and that's how a drift occurs. Ephesians 5, 15, and 16 says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And that verse, the Apostle Paul is talking to the people of Ephesus, to the Ephesians, and he's also talking to us. But in that environment and in that culture, he was talking to some people who had just come out of extraordinary, um, um, just, just 
difficult living. I mean, there's pagan idol worship, there was possible temple prostitution, there were all kind of things going on in that culture that, um, that were so counter to what a, how a Jesus follower would, beha- would behave, how Jesus follower would behave. So was, what Paul was saying to them is, stop living the way you used to live. And he actually starts that whole, that whole chapter, chapter 5 of Ephesians, with be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Stop living the way you used to live. You're going to live differently now because you're a Jesus follower now. And Paul tells them that, and he knows that it's going to be so easy for them to drift back in because that was the culture in which they were they were living. At the end of that verse, he says, because the days are evil. And when I used to read that verse, I would sort of skip over that because we know days aren't literally evil, and that just seemed kind of weird to me. But then I realized, if we're not careful, if we don't pay attention, if we sort of lift our feet and let the current of culture even this culture, take us where it will, it, it, it doesn't take us in a good direction. If we just allow the current of culture to take us, it doesn't take us in a good, good direction. I think that's what Paul was saying to the Ephesians, because the days are evil. So you've got to be wise, not unwise. You've got to pay attention. You've got to make the most of your moments. And because the days are evil, it will take you a place where you don't want to be. And so as I thought about that, I thought, okay, Paul, that's great. We all, none of us want to drift. You know, we want to be wise. We don't want to be unwise. We understand our culture. We've seen what happens. So what do we do? How do we put feet on that principle of being wise and choosing wisely rather than unwisely? What does that look like? So I came up with three things that I just want to share with you real quickly that I think are three great defenses against the drift. And the first one is we set markers. Just like that blue tent on the beach with the people under it, we set some markers. We determine what our particular vulnerabilities are, and we figure out some markers to alert us that we are beginning to drift. A few um, examples of markers that I came up with, listen to yourself for excuses, apologies, and rationalizations. Listen to yourself for excuses, apologies, and rationalizations. Because when we're apologizing over and over and over for the same thing, clearly we have drifted. If we're rationalizing something that you know, three years ago we would have thought was a wrong thing to do, but we're trying to rationalize it, we are moving in a direction of drifting. So set some markers. Another marker, and this is a big one for me, notice um, inconsistency in your time alone with the Lord. Now, none of us want our quiet time or our time alone with the Lord to be something like a checklist. But the truth is, for me, if I get to day three without having my quiet time, it's time for me to ask myself a couple of questions. Has this just been a weird week? Maybe so. In that case, we're good. Let's get back to the quiet time. But maybe I've just let some other things become a priority over it. So if I get to day three, that's my marker that I need to ask myself a couple of questions. They're going to be busy days. They're going to be busy weeks, all of that. But if I get to day three, I know it's time to ask a question. It's a marker for me. Another idea for a marker is be aware when those fruits of the Spirit are running thin. Love, joy, peace, patience, anyone? patience, kindness, anyone? I just know that when my when I'm snapping at people quickly, when I'm just kind of in a chronic bad mood, there's a problem. And it's probably that I've drifted in an area, whether it's my breathing room or whether it's something else. So listen for, um, watch for those fruits of the Spirit running thin. The last idea for a marker is notice when you find yourself turning to artificial or dangerous things for comfort. Notice when you find yourself turning to artificial or dangerous things for comfort, whether it's over shopping, whether it's alcohol, whether it's movement toward an unhealthy relationship, 
be careful and watch because when those things start happening, even if you can rationalize it away, you may be on your way to landing in a place that you do not want to end up. So that's the first thing in the defense against the drift, figure out some markers. Think about your own vulnerabilities, think about the areas where you tend to struggle and ask someone, ask a best friend maybe, if, they can, if you can't identify your own, but I'm guessing that you probably can. The second thing, second defense against the drift is pray for discernment. Proverbs 27, 12 says, the prudent see danger and take, and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. About 30 years ago, Andy and I turned this proverb into a prayer, and we started praying, God, would you give us wisdom to see trouble coming and give us the courage to do something about it no matter what people think? And we have prayed that for our marriage. We have prayed that for our parenting. We have prayed that for our ministry. And we have just seen God answer that, that, question, that question, that prayer request, over and over and over as it relates to whatever category. And we tacked that no matter what people think on, because when you see trouble coming, it hasn't gotten there yet and you respond to it ahead of time people are going to kind of look at you like what are you doing you know why are you doing that and so we just ask God to give us the wisdom to see it coming the courage to deal with it no matter what people think so pray for discernment as it relates to um, defense against the drift the third thing the last thing we establish accountability we establish accountability. We invite a discerning friend or a discerning group of friends to say something when they see something in our lives. And we're careful about who it is, of course, but we invite people to say something when they see something. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Hebrews 10 talks about the importance of not um, stopping meeting together because the writer of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews knew we are in this together and we need each other. We need accountability. We need all of those things. So set these marks. So these three things, these three defenses, set some markers, pray for discernment, establish accountability. These are some ways to protect yourself from moving slowly, drifting slowly away from the things and the people that are most important to you. And so I hope that you'll take a little bit of time to think through that. And sometimes it seems like a sacrifice. Any of those things can feel and seem like a sacrifice. But I can promise you that when you give up something now for something better later, it is never a sacrifice. It is always, always, always an investment. So.